Welcome everyone, you are listening to another episode of Do We Like Murder? It is a segment of the long overdue podcast and a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. And we have Dawn and Denise with us Hello. this Hi. afternoon to talk about two more thrilling, maybe informative <laughs> they ha- the books have murders in them there's murder that's there's really murder the only here. qualifier here uh, all bets are off as far as whether they were good or whether they liked them but i guess we're about to find out mm-hmm. all right so what did y'all read this time i read murder in little egypt by darcy o'brien and it is a s- true story of a filicide do you know what a filicide is? Is that where murder of your brother, son of your child? Your yeah. child. Fili- I did, yeah, fili- I, yeah, yeah. I had to look that up because I'm like, what does that mean? And it says it's a crime so shocking that its name is seldom heard. Yeah, not very many parents parents do that to their children. Yeah. So what about you? What did you read? I read, and then she killed him by uh, Robert Scott. <laughs> Well, there you go. I guess it's right. (laughs) Oh, like, do we need to know what happened before? Because pretty hilarious. (laughs) She was pretty hilarious. The murder was awful. (laughs) Well, they all are. So, Darcy O'Brien, you read a book about by him before, right? I did. The Hillside Stranglers. And I, I, yeah, I did enjoy that book. Um. I enjoyed this book also, and I, I, going back and looking at it prior to um, coming in here and talking about it, there is so much murder that happens in this book between page one and page 20. <laughs> so there's more, oh, it's, maybe it should have been called Murders. It probably should have been. In Little Egypt. Yes, yes, probably, Definitely. They focus on one murder, but that happens at the end. Huh. So. Oh, and by the way, before we started this recording, we had a brief discussion about the cover of the book, which has an owl on the cover, and I looked it up, and according to the internet, the owl symbolizes, or owls are associated with death in Egypt. Oh, they are? Yes. Okay, so, so that, that would explain that. That would explain it. Okay, because okay, I, I couldn't quite tell what it was up close, and so that's why we were having the discussion about but, that. So, yeah. Yeah, very so interesting. now that that's been resolved. Which okay. I think should have been mentioned in the book yes. if you're yeah. going to put it on the cover. Yeah. Yes. Even if it's a little just at in note, you know. Right. So they did talk a little bit about why uh, this area is called Little Egypt. And Little Egypt is in southern Illinois. And they call it that because there were some um, pretty harsh winters in the 1830s. And so uh, people would travel down to the southern part of Illinois to get corn and seeds and and those things. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of felt like they were being like Jacob in the Bible in Genesis and going to Egypt to get those things. (laughs) And so they kind of uh, named it that. And then it stuck because they liked having their own 
little Egypt, you know, yeah. paradise, whatever it was called. It became you know. like a tradition or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, they also started not just um, having that area called Little Egypt, but they also have given names, like Egyptian-type names, to some of the towns in that area. Oh. But they're, they're pronounced different. So, like, Cairo is Kiro. Okay. Or Kiro. And then there's a, what was the other one? A Thebes. And El Dorado. It's not El Dorado. Yeah. They they made sure they showed the pronunciation. So it's just it's interesting. <laughs> and the other thing is, and I was just listening to one of our podcasts, previous podcasts, about the murder in Temple. And, of course, I cannot remember the book that it was related to. Um, but one of the correlations that I came up with is that, we, and you'll find this out later, that in the temple murder, they did not believe the murderer did it. Mm-hmm. And that right. is going to be a theme in this book. The, the preacher of that church even went as far as trying to villainize the victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the background of this area. Um, it has been a very interesting um, area in the United States, and uh, some historians actually believe that it was the birthplace of organized crime. <laughs> there, um, It said one of the bloodiest tenants from that area, and it's kind of on the river, was Big Harp and Little Harp, and they were brothers, and they killed for the pleasure of it. So... They would scream, we are the harps, and slaughter their victims with knives and tomahawks, then slicing them open, tearing out the innards, and filling the bodies with stones to sink them in the river. It's ridiculous. Well, already, then. <laughs> this was also a very prominent area for the KKK. There were not any Jews in that area. <laughs> So what they focused on were Italians and other um, other groups. Would you say minorities? Yes, and uh, they killed over fifty people in two years. Hmm. And there was a massacre there in nineteen twenty-two. They had a uh, twenty people were shot because they were breaking a strike. Do you guys know anything about that? Mm-mm. Don't ever do that. Don't ever cross a picket line. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good. Uh, Anyway, so they were shot to death, mutilated, and the corpses were spat on. It said by the union mob. So nine people went to trial for this, and they were all acquitted. So the state gave up, and they just didn't even pursue any further type of prosecution. Wow. And so this is kind of, you know, definitely giving a background of what this this area is like. In 1986, uh, Harrisburg, uh, they have a first bank and trust. They were giving away a two-gun set, Smith & Wesson automatic pistols, as a promotion when you purchase certain CDs. 
And they were having people, they said, as far away as California coming to purchase their CDs. Wow. (laughs) And they were considered the most violent place in America. And the murder rate is close to Chicago and New York City. So my book was written in... 1989, but this is a lot of the history Mm -hmm. from prior to that. Um, So I I honestly don't know what that area is like now. I mean, that was still quite quite a while ago, so things could have changed. Um, Anyway, so there is a a murder that there were a few like famous kind of murders that included a wife who shot and killed her husband, cut him up, and fed him to the hogs. Classic. Yes. That's classic. Yes. <laughs> how they discovered a story the whole this time, right? How she, how they discovered she fed him to the hogs. I, I don't know. Maybe they didn't eat him all. I, all That's my them? guess. Yeah. yeah, there was a bone somewhere. Yes. And also, a thirty-year-old son who loved his mother so much that he laced his daddy's iced tea with the antifreeze. That was a quote. Right? What do you mean by loved his mother so much? Right. I think you probably understand. <laughs> I, I, it, did, it didn't elaborate, but that's kind of the way I took it oh, when he yeah. killed his dad. Yeah. Because it didn't say that he was There's, being abused or yeah, that anything. Yeah, he was abusive or anything like that. Yeah. And then this story I thought was very fascinating. That there were some people in this area that would stay at the Potts Inn. Okay, so there's a little map in this the front of this book, but there's a place called Cave and Rock, and that's where the outlaws would stay. And they would, like at Shawneetown, they would throw their stuff in the river, and then they would get it when it came down around Cave and, and Rock hmm. area. And so there's this inn that this family owned this mother and father so well they they they're calling it a tavern so there's this other guy who is a ferryman and they call him satan's ferryman so they were kind of in cahoots together and they would either robber robber they would either rob the ferry passengers or kill them or you know do whatever so this one one time, a lot of times what they would do is, you know, send him to the inn and then the innkeepers would be the ones who killed him. I don't know. Mm. So this one time, the, the, their son, their grown son decides to come home, but he was wanting to play a trick on his parents. And, he, and so he dressed up as, tried to disguise himself to see if his parents would recognize him. And so they ended up feeding him. And they never caught on that it was their son. And so they killed him. They, they got drunk and they killed him. And, they, and later they realized it was uh, because his friends showed up the next day looking for him. Mm-hmm. And they, then they realized that they had killed their own son. 
I know. Isn't that bizarre? It's really weird. It is weird. So just so you know, the story is on page 26 of this book. <laughs> so you can actually We've read it. We've only made it to page 26. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you can read it word for word. I had to make sure I included that in there because it was so bizarre. It is bizarre. So this is a very um, weird part of the country. Yeah. It's yeah, like it sounds it's, like it. Yeah. Why would you live there? I guess unless you're, why would you even go there? Like, unless you're a murderer, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, why would you even travel through there? That seems like... <laughs> well, and something that I read also made a comment about Harrisburg being so... Such a an influential part of town or a part of the state that at one point they turned down giving Chicago a, a loan of $10,000 because they said you would never amount to anything. So it was a pretty big part mm-hmm. of the country at the time. And I think probably because of the river and all that. But still, I think people have that notion that they could care less about Chicago in that northern area. Mm-hmm. I think what they said is that it could fall into the Great Lakes is for all they care. <laughs> so they really don't care much about it. So the story is about Dale Cavanis. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. Sorry, I was going to spell it for you. C-A-V-A-N-E-S-S. Cavanis mm-hmm. is what I got. And um, uh, when he was a child, his mother would play a game, a death game with him. Where she would pretend like she was dead. And he would just be freaking out Mm -hmm. because he is two or three years old and she's pretending that she's dead and you know mommy mommy don't leave me and so i mean from a little boy he's Mm -hmm. being traumatized and he did grow up and he had no use for his mother it doesn't say a whole lot of other things she did other than maybe kind of nitpicking at him and Mm -hmm. and things kind of being negative about it but so when he was growing up he going through school decided that he was going to be the best at everything and he was he was really good at football he was really good at his studies um you know whatever he did basically whatever he touched and then he decided he was going to be a doctor and and he he did he went to school he became a doctor and he um met a girl named Marion, and they eventually got married. So it was kind of a happenstance meeting, and Mm -hmm. she wasn't really sure, and then eventually they ended up getting together. And he, before they got married, or maybe it was right after, um, he had a uh, internship or something over on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. and he was doing really well. And they offered him uh, a position, and he turned it down. Uh, I think that was like in the New York area. And so he ended up going back to, to St. Louis, which is, um, you know, borders Illinois as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really close there. And he had taken his wife down to where he grew up. And when he, uh, when they went down there, she was just like, ooh, I don't Mm -hmm. really like this place. It's just kind of odd. And 
not where I really want to be. Thank goodness he's got the this opportunity at this bigger hospital in, in a city and all that. Well, after all that kind of goes by, he just informs her one day that he is going to, um, that they're moving to where he grew up, the town he grew up, grew up in, and he's bought uh, a practice. Huh. Yeah. And I'm leaving a lot of stuff out, so just, you know, I'm just kind of, because I just thought of something else. He was married previously. Oh. The father of, you know, his old father-in-law actually had put his name on the hospital because he was so sure they were going to go into practice together. That didn't happen. Oh. Divorces the, the girl. <laughs> yes. And so now he marries and somebody else. back to town? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Funny enough, so, he still had a good relationship with the father-in-law. It's weird. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, she's his wife, not excited about moving to this town. Oh, no. But, you know, the first few years that they're there, uh, you know, he's... In in this one town, they're doing fine. You know, he's getting more patients and all this stuff. And then they end up moving to another town, which is, I think, even smaller. And, you know, but they're doing okay. They have friends. Mm-hmm. He's making money. She's going on shopping trips to St. Louis. And they, they travel to Florida with their friends. And, you know, they're having a, a decent time. Yeah. She gets pregnant and has a couple of kids. And basically, he wants nothing to do with them. He just could care less about them and is, you know, he's just not really interested. Hmm. Uh, Their first child, his name was Mark, and he was mean. He was verbally mean to his children, uh, telling them that they wouldn't amount to anything, that they were stupid, and that they were lazy, and and uh, all this stuff. So first child was Mark, second child was Kevin, and then they had Sean, and then eventually they had Patrick. So four kids. I do not know why she lasted this long. Why she continued to have children with this man. Right, exactly. So he kind of, he started to go downhill. At first he wasn't as bad, Uh and then, you know, he Let's add another kid, and yes. then he gets, yeah. So before Patrick, the last one, came along, they were on the rocks. He was actually seeing somebody else at this time. Um, so they split up. He goes and lives with the other lady. She's in the house by herself, and she's like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. I have no money. I, I don't know what to do. I can't support my kids and work and, you know, who's going to babysit them. So the new kid, um, Patrick, comes along and he's not really giving them any money. And so she said, you know, I've got to go to work. So she leaves uh, him with a babysitter that's at the house. Babysitter was in the other room doing something. Um, Patrick liked to play with matches. <clears throat> and started the house on fire and the house burnt down so he the father puts them in a trailer an rv and leaves them there for like over a year that they have to live in this trailer so the four kids and and her Mm -hmm. and he's not showing any intention of rebuilding that house Mm -hmm. so come to find out even though he's a doctor he 
likes to gamble mm-hmm. and uh, likes to spend money. Yeah, I was thinking he's broke. Yeah, exactly. So he would get the insurance money. I think he got the insurance money for the house and blew it or, you know, did mm-hmm. whatever he wanted to do. And um, he did that with a lot of things. So he's developing a, I don't know if it's a lot of a drug problem, definitely a drinking problem. And he, his personality is that he is so nice. People love him. Hmm. Uh, and he does stupid things. <laughs> Unless you're his wife or his offspring. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they go so far as to tell the wife and kids that they are being ridiculous. That there's no way that he would act that way. That he would treat them that way. It's like, hello. They, they live in a him. trailer. Yeah. <laughs> And they're with him all the time, you would think. They might know a little different. So he's got like a secretary or somebody at the the hospital or wherever it is he's working. His practice. Yeah. And they see the way he acts. And and his employees see that he is like a flip of a switch. He changes um, his personality. It's like he's Mm -hmm. all of a sudden irate. And he would do that with the kids also. You just never knew Mm -hmm. if he would freak out on you. So there was an instance where he was out driving, drunk driving. He hits another vehicle, kills the dad and the baby. Mom lives. And they take him to trial. And um, I think he got maybe a $1,000 fine. Mm-hmm. And he was let go. It was, they just, he knew everybody in town mm-hmm. and it was, he he couldn't have done that on purpose. He never would have, yeah. you know. Well, anyway. and vehicular homicide is very little time anyway. Yeah. If he had gotten any little, any time, it would have been like five years or something. Okay. And probably out in two. Yeah. So. Okay. But he didn't even get that. He just yeah, got a little slap a little on the fine. wrist. Yeah. So the mother obviously is very, very angry because of that. So he's he's also buying up property left and right around there. So he goes out and he, he thinks that he should, kind of like a Hitler kind of attitude, because he buys these cattle and he wants to create a perfect cow. Hmm. I know, and I can't remember, like, all the details, but it's, like, he's trying to use all of his scientific knowledge to create this cow. <laughs> and and the cattle ranchers are, like, this is not working, and so we're ditching it, yeah. but he kept with it. And so he lost a lot of money with that endeavor also. And what does a perfect cow yeah, entail? Let me elaborate on that. <laughs> there was a little bit more elaboration, but it was not information that really stuck in my head. Was so, it like more milk being produced? No, I don't know if it was like the better was, meat or yeah, it was a giant cow able, that to, was <laughs> able to adapt to any environment. <laughs> Eat whatever. Super cow. Yeah. Like, is this how mad cow disease started? Frankie yeah. cow. Because like, yeah, they got mad at him. <laughs> yeah. And they went nuts. Right. Uh, okay. So eventually things start happening and he takes out a, an insurance policy on his oldest child. 
Uh-oh. Right. That's never good. <laughs> Seems like a red flag mm-hmm. anytime. <laughs> yes. And Mark had he had gone out to one of the farms that he had a little trailer out there that he was living in or something. I think he had graduated from high school and so he was trying to find a job and different things. Um, but he ends up working for his dad. And so anyway, they can't find him. He should be home. Somebody goes out to the farm and there he is. Uh, just laying there and he's been shot. Well, they start looking at the vehicle and the vehicle, it looks like, almost could have been a suicide because there was a gun set up and it looked like there was a string on the trigger mm-hmm. kind of thing and it was hooked to the door. So when the door opened, it would go off and he he would get shot. But then they looked at it later and they said, well, it could also have been that somebody shot him and then staged it mm-hmm. to look like that. So they weren't sure which way to go. Anyway, nobody was convicted of that murder. So that was his oldest son. So fast forward seven years, um, the third son. So Kevin is the next one. Sean is the third child. They have now moved to St. Louis, um, Kevin and Sean and Patrick with their mom to get away from from the dad, mm-hmm. who is is still being horrible and will be that way in front of other people as far as family members and stuff, mm-hmm. not, not the mother so much because she'll get on him about it. And Mary and the mom finally remarries, and she moves to Ohio with her new husband, and she leaves Sean in St. Louis, and Kevin is in St. Louis. And he has met somebody, and they're thinking about getting married and that okay, kind of stuff. Okay, I was going to so, ask, like, how old they are at this point? Yeah, I mean, um, Sean, I think, has, at, since when she got married, he has since graduated, and he's trying to find a job. And, you know, he's like, well, I should go back and, and work with my dad because he's not getting on very well. Kevin actually had finished school, uh, a college, and um, was doing okay. And seemed to be mentally doing better than Sean. Sean and Mark had a very, uh, I don't want to say dark personality, but they were, I think, not, they were self-conscious because of their dad. And I don't think that they felt like they were good people because of the way verbally he Mm -hmm. treated them. So the dad was supposed to come up and get Sean. Sean was supposed to go down there for the holiday or, or something. I can't mm-hmm. even remember what it was. And um, middle of the night, Kevin gets a phone call from the police. Do you know Sean? And he's like, yes, it's my brother. And he's like, well, he's dead. So they go out and, you know, he the brother couldn't even identify him. His, his girlfriend or, or wife at the time um, says I'll do it for you and so she goes in and identifies him the mom comes down dad comes down and the dad is like so against him that he's like well he was stupid anyway he shouldn't have been in here or there or whatever did he die on one of his properties no they were in St. Louis um, and actually what happened is the dad drove up 
Nobody knew that he was coming up and went and picked him up, took him out drinking, knowing that his son had a drug and drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a 0.26 alcohol level. Wow. And they went out driving and ended up in an empty field. (laughs) And he shot him two times. And what he claims is that Sean wanted to go over there to look at something. And then he got out of the car and he said, tell mom I'm sorry. And then he shot himself. And he didn't want it to look like suicide so that the mom would not feel bad. And so he took the gun and shot him again in the back. (laughs) What they realized is that the shot from the back actually happened first. Uh (laughs) And then he got up closer and shot him again to make sure that he was dead, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then he drove back home. So what happened, the neighbors at Sean's apartment saw the car saw him get out of the car and meet Sean and give him a hug. So they knew he, they knew mm-hmm. that it was him and got the license plate of the car. Oh yeah. So anyway, they were able to catch him and he went to, to jail and there were so many people that were like, he didn't do that. He wouldn't have done that. He's such a good guy. He's my doctor. He, he gives free services. He's never asked me for what, you know, to pay, because that you know it's a poor area, mm-hmm. and so he did a lot of that. Oh my gosh! So anyway, did he only get convicted because he was tried in St. Louis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and that's why they were thankful that something happened outside of that area. Mm-hmm. Because if it had been in that area, he would have gotten away with it. Um, so he goes to per- uh, goes to jail. They try him, and he. He gets the death penalty. So before he kills Sean, he had contacted Kevin and said, I'm going to, um, just for tax purposes, it makes sense for me to take out an insurance policy on you and Sean. So Kevin signs the papers. And I'm sure Sean did too. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever. Didn't think twice about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he had collected money on Sean, which the policy was were only like forty thousand dollars. That's not even very much. What was the eighties? Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he goes to prison. Uh, so they were saying stuff about the insurance policies, blah blah blah. Anyway, he finally he kills himself in prison, and the mom even said that. She's like, he won't he won't get the death penalty because he'll kill himself before that happens. He let, he'll let that happen. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he, he did. But he waited until uh, it was the day after the expiration date of suicide being an issue passed. So if he'd have killed himself the day before, he wouldn't have got any insurance money on himself, I think it was, because if he had died of a certain, mm-hmm. uh, of suicide, they wouldn't pay during this certain amount of time. Right. But after that, if that happens, then they would pay. Hmm. It was the next day. Huh. So he knew what he was doing. And who got this money? Um, his second, like, girlfriend, I don't know if they ever got <laughs> married or whatever. Yeah. 
he he had given had it on to give to the ex-wife but since she had remarried um he he had changed it all while he was in prison so i went and looked up the family and i looked up him because i wanted to get a couple pictures and Mm -hmm. see what he looked like and all that and uh his son kevin came up and he passed away in 2013 at 56 years old they said gifts could be left for uh, american cancer society or whatever so i think that he probably had cancer is why he he died so him and his wife had uh, a girl when the trial stuff was going on and she died um stillbirth or uh, miscarriage whatever Mm -hmm. and but then they had children after that and it looked like they had a girl shannon and then she was married the other boy so i'm thinking he was the oldest boy at least died at 25 wow and it doesn't say a whole lot this is um his brother mark and um the dad just he's just i don't know and then when you when you see his his creepy his creepiness at the end, look at that. <laughs> it's just like his mugshot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had transformed so much, and I think it was just because of so much alcohol and mm-hmm. if it were drugs in his system. I think also, um, which he was part of the drug community also because mm-hmm. he w- had sold some things, and but they couldn't convict him on it. They couldn't get anybody to to talk against him. And it really, it really did remind me of the mob. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Patrick is still alive. It seems like, and then uh, his wife and kids and his mom, from what I can tell from my quick, quick little search. But he basically killed his kids for the insurance money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Man. Oh, that was sad. Yes, and and I really glossed over how mean he was to his family and his yeah. ex-wife. He, I mean, he hit her and verbally abusive to her, and and then friends they did not believe that mm-hmm. he did those things to her, and so it was it was very difficult for her. Yeah, well, and that's kind of a common thing with domestic abusers. Mm-hmm. They're the nicest people to everybody else. Yeah, and so when their wife goes to try to get help, nobody believes them. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't try to get help. Yeah, yep. Especially in a small community like that. Yeah, you know, and then being controlled completely. Like yeah, she was like, "How am I supposed to raise a family by myself?" Yeah, that, and then you know, the judge is not even on your side, mm-hmm. and you know, the law is not really on your side because you can't prove anything, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Not yep. a good situation. Nope. So, it was very interesting. So, if you do want to read it, I I do recommend it. We did get it through interlibrary loan. Mm-hmm. But we are getting a copy. Are we? Library. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, we got it through interlibrary loan because our copy hadn't come in yet. So, this was also on a list of very good books to read. Mm-hmm. Wasn't For it? For winter. For winter. Because this was... 
was it set in the winter time like when the murders happened or um even though there was a lot of murders <laughs> right i'm like trying to think which one <laughs> no i don't think i don't think they were maybe it was a little colder i, mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember I don't remember like what clothing they were wearing or anything like that. Yeah, because that—that's why it was on that list. Okay, it's because it was supposed to be a good book to read during the winter. Well, the one I read, and then she killed him. Though the murders happened in like April, and well, the murder happened in June. Mm-hmm. Um, she was caught and tried in December. So, oh. it so it counts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So I read And Then She Killed Him by Robert Scott. It is about this woman named Miriam Helmick. She was a dance instructor. And she was teaching at some dance studio in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she had... Uh, recently been kind of promoted and given her own dance studio to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the owner of the studio that she was teaching at had bought another one. And so she went and moved to a different town in Colorado to manage that place. So now this dance studio, is it for children? Or no, it's for adults. Okay. I'm sure, I don't know if they did. Didn't really say. Yeah, Not important. But she, ta- <laughs> she taught adults. Okay. <laughs> and so Alan Helmick... Um, he had recently lost his wife, Sharon, mm-hmm. and they'd been married for decades. And she died very suddenly. And she just kind of had a heart attack and she died very suddenly. Mm-hmm. And something that Sharon had always wanted to do, though I guess Alan never had time, was that she wanted to date, take dance classes. So now that Sharon was dead, <sighs> he decided to take dance classes oh. in her honor. And I'm just like, really mm-hmm. really guy yeah that's whatever sad yeah so he takes these dance classes and he meets miriam um alan is a wealthy man and he's 10 years older than miriam okay so she's teaching him dance and he you know wants to wants to take her out you know dinner and so forth and at first she's all like i don't date my students mm, but yeah. you know that last until she found out how much money he had <laughs> and then she was like sure i'll go have dinner with you um they got married shortly after that <laughs> okay so miriam and alan he owns several different he's got different businesses and a lot of property and all that kind of stuff. And so he decides that he pretty much kind of wants to sh- sell his share of a bit of like a title company that he he had. And so he just kind of wanted out of that. Mm-hmm. So on April 30th, 2008, they go, he goes to go sign the papers and get his check for his share of that business. And Miriam goes with him. Miriam claims to have stomach issues. Mm-hmm. And so she rushed to the bathroom. It was in the bathroom for a bit. And they came out. He was waiting for her in the car. And so she gets into the car and she's like, it's really hot. I'd like to change my shoes. Could you pop open the trunk? Because apparently she had a bunch of shoes in the trunk of the car. Okay. So she wanted to change from her tennis shoes to her sandals. Mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, sure. So he pops the trunk. She goes out there. 
And then she claims that she had stomach problems. So she had to run back into the the business. And he couldn't see and so potentially. So okay. she she runs away mm-hmm. and he's in the car and he looks in the rear view and sees smoke coming from behind the car. And so he he thinks it's exhaust, so he turns off the car. Mm-hmm. No. It's smoke. Someone tried to blow up his car. Oh my gosh. Who could it have been? I know. It's such a mystery. <laughs> That she just didn't light something in the trunk and, and take then off. Yeah. So he goes out there. He like gets out of the car, goes out there, sees a wick like made from a piece of cloth tied to a stick that was put into the gas tank and lit on fire. Mm-hmm. And so he like he runs into the business mm-hmm. and, you know, that do they have a fire extinguisher and Miriam's coming out of the bathroom at that point And he's like, you know, the car's on fire. He's like, what? So she goes and gets a, she, this is all that she's claiming. She goes and gets a pitcher and starts filling it up with water and runs out there and starts throwing water on it. She manages to put it out because no one had a fire extinguisher. Wow. Yeah. And so okay. then he like, you know, gets it out and sees that it's a piece of cloth tied to a stick that was put into his gas tank. <sighs> Clearly someone was trying to murder him. Uh-huh. So they call the police and the police are like, anybody want to kill you? Like, yeah. <laughs> do you have any enemies? And he's like, no. Of course not. No. Who would want to kill me? I'm just, I'm such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and later on in the book, because at first my note is just like, seriously, did the police like really not, were like, I have no idea who could have done this. But later on in the book, he does mention that they did always suspect Miriam. Okay. They even talked to him about like, would Miriam want to like hurt you? Uh-huh. And he was like, no. No. <laughs> what are you talking about? But he did admit that, you know, you never really know anybody now, do you? Like that kind of <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> dude, what's going on with you? And you're sleeping next to her? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, for a few months later, because on June 9th of 2008, Miriam comes home from doing some shopping in the morning mm-hmm. and finds Alan dead on the floor. No way. The kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Shock. Shock of it all. Right. She calls 911 and the dispatcher, man, okay, so the dispatcher, when she calls 911, couldn't understand where she was calling from, like... She gave them the address. He had no idea. Like, he kept mispronouncing the name of the road. And she had to, like, spell it out for him. Like, yeah. And it was just, like, the dispatcher was not very good at all. She gives him the address. He can't understand it. She gives it to him again. He gets it wrong. And he's all like, ma'am, you need to calm down. And I'm just like, really? And so, you know, he tells her to calm down and she like screams at him. My husband is dead. And he's like, I need your address one more time. (laughs) I'm like, you're just helping her now. Right. Are you in on it? (laughs) That's what I was wondering. (laughs) Couldn't get the address right. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And then at some point, the dispatcher asks if anyone was there um she has no idea or that's what she says so she's pretty much told the dispatcher that he's dead Mm -hmm. 
Is he conscious? <laughs> Is he breathing? Uh-huh. And it's just like... You know what this reminds me of? He's dead. <laughs> it reminds me of a help desk <laughs> where you say, did you reboot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did everything. <laughs> and then you reboot. Oh, okay. <laughs> is, it, is it plugged in? Yeah, man. <laughs> It took 17 minutes and 40 seconds of her being on the phone before the operator was, before the police got there. Wow. Yeah. And and this wasn't like a remote, out of the way place. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, okay, well, you live out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, it's going to take a while for emergency services to get to you no they lived in a neighborhood they had like neighbors right next door like it was but yeah. he okay so he was already dead so it's not like the response time would have made any difference right. but the way that the operator was treating it was like do cpr on him let me talk to you about how to do cpr and so instead of sending the the units oh no I he mean, sent them and it took okay 17 minutes and so he was still trying to walk for 40 doing seconds. That. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. That's, that's craziness. Yeah. Yep. So the cop goes in there. The one that first responds, the first mm-hmm. responder goes in there and sees a couple of drawers were open. A trash can was knocked over. Doesn't mm-hmm. really look like anything was taken. Mm-hmm. And she's very calm about the whole thing just very very calm about it all and like goes out outside leaves her purse there and goes out and talks to the other police officer and he's looking around trying to make sure that you know there's not anybody still there because this Mm -hmm. man was shot in the head so he's like you know anybody else still here but it doesn't look like she did cpr or try to do cpr there was no like blood on her in a way that you would think that she was trying to do cpr on him mm-hmm. or anything like that just very very calm and it was all very very suspicious mm-hmm. just kind of like that's weird once he left the room like he didn't hear her crying anymore like you know it was mm-hmm. kind of very clear to him that it was all kind of a show wow or at least that's how he he perceived it uh-huh because you know he's like, he could still hear her but the second he was gone, like, she she was fine. I'm sure his intuition was probably... Yes. Pretty good. When they asked her, like, could anybody have done this? She she was like, well, he didn't really have any enemies, but he didn't get along with his son. Um, his name was Alan Jr. Didn't really get along with Alan Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, he was... Not really invited to come over or anything like that. Like there was something had happened that had caused a riff in their relationship. And she finally says that uh, Alan had supported the mom on the adoption of Alan Jr.'s daughter. Um, so he pretty much wrote a letter to the judge and told the judge that his son, Alan Jr., had no business being a father. Wow. So it's just like. Okay, well, I guess that's what was wrong with their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so she was basically like, it could have been him. Uh-huh. He was supposed to go visit his sister because he had I think, two, three daughters. 
mm-hmm. and the son. And so he was going to go visit one of the, one of his sisters, and then they were all going to get together, and they were all going to come over okay. to, to visit. And so they were like, so I don't know if he's in town or not in town. Like, they were supposed to come, uh, you know, in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So he might he might have been near, but she couldn't really say one way or the other, like, yeah, if she knew where he was. So they start investigating, and it turns out that um, Miriam had been married before. Okay. And she'd been married to that guy for like 20 something years. Wow. And they had a daughter, and she um, was, I believe, 22 mm-hmm. when she accidentally overdosed, took like aspirin when she had an ulcer, and, and died. And a year after her death, on his birthday, her husband shot himself while they were in bed together. Oh. So. That's horrible. It is horrible. I'm just like, did he really shoot himself? <gasps> oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so naive. <laughs> Woo. Okay. So they find out that. He committed suicide. They treated it as a suicide. Uh-huh. And um, Miriam just suddenly started writing bogus checks and stealing money from her parents and her brother. And so she convinced her parents to make her, like, give her power of attorney. Mm-hmm. And so she was, like, basically cleaning out their savings without <sighs> them even knowing. And one of the things that made me really, like, upset uh-huh. about this was that she would go visit her mom uh-huh. every day. She would go visit her mom. Her mom thought it was a little, like, she thought it was great. Like, both the parents were like, well, no, it's really good, right, that she's coming over and spending time with you and spending time with us. And she mm-hmm. was like, yeah, except that she always comes around noon so she could catch the mailman really? and get the mail. Because she was getting credit cards in their names and getting the bank statements <sighs> and all of that. So she ended up stealing, like, I don't even remember how much money. She stole a lot of money from them. Wow. And um, they really didn't press any charges against mm-hmm. her. I mean, it was their daughter. Yeah. So she took off. And decided to go be a dance instructor somewhere, and then she married Alan. Um, she she was going under the name. Let's see. So her first husband Jack, they had been married for twenty three or twenty four years, and that after you know, and then he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack had. A, he was a gun nut, apparently, mm-hmm. and he had persuaded Miriam to always carry a loaded thirty-eight handgun with her, um, and that she was a really good shot. Well, of course, when the police had talked to her after Alan's death and asked her if there was a gun in the house or anything like that, she said no, that she didn't like guns, knew nothing of guns. Oh, liar. And so that was one of those things It's like, um, okay... Was there an insurance policy on him? You know, (laughs) let's see. It did not say that there was an insurance policy on him. Mm -hmm. 
um, she just started doing counterfeit checks and so on. She had she had gone to Gulfport, Mississippi before she went to Colorado. And while she was there, she was going under the name of Francesa, which had like the weirdest spelling. And it says here, her unique spelling. F-R-A-N-C-E-H-S-S-E-A. Francesa. <laughs> like, I'm just like, how do you even pronounce that, girl? Yeah. <laughs> so, when the investigator contacted Gulfport and checked out the their courts and see what was going on there, she had three inactive court cases going on from 2005. So, she had been charged with embezzlement. and There was two cases of embezzlement and petty larceny. So, in November... Of 2004, according to the documents, she was found not guilty on all the charges, but it seemed to be not guilty because the charges had never gone forward. A big part of the reason was that Hurricane Katrina had ripped apart Gulfport, Mississippi around that time. Uh And these charges were of little concern in the wider scope of that disaster. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hurricane Katrina saves her a couple of times. (laughs) So, she had been investigated for taking money from Barbara Watts, who was the owner of the dance studio that she worked at. Okay. So, she um, left Gulfport, went to Colorado before she was arrested, and then went back to Gulfport. She, and this was a whole separate thing, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina Saved her then, and the charges were dropped. So she had those three cases there, and then uh, these other two from Barbara Watts. Because Barbara Watts was like, she was stealing money from me. Mm -hmm. She was embezzling from my business as well. Wow. So So I'm I'm very curious, and you may be answering this, but I'm going to ask it anyway right now. Is that why her husband died? Mm Mm-hmm. Because he found out that she was doing that stuff? Well, all that happened there. And she goes, she moves to Colorado Uh and meets Alan, marries Alan. He buys her a house in Whitewater, Colorado Uh and buys her a dance studio. Wow. Yeah. And buys her a horse ranch with horses and stuff. Yeah. He did have some money. Oh, yeah. He was a very wealthy man. Okay. Um, The... Dance studio was supposed to be a business, you know, and so, Uh but it was not a successful business. Okay. Um, He was told by his uh, business manager, like, this is a bad move. Like, there's already a dance studio in this town, and we really don't need to. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're going to lose money here. Yeah. But it was more of a, you know, Miriam wants it, and, you know, it'll keep her busy, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So, he was like, eh. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So he was like, okay, fine. The horses, the business manager was like, you're definitely going to lose money here. And he's all like, meh. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, what is up with you, dude? Uh-huh. So he um, had gotten really sick throughout between April and June. He had been really sick. 
And his kids couldn't get a hold of him or anything like that. They would call his cell phone and leave messages. And mm-hmm. he would never return their messages. And that, that was really weird. Mm-hmm. You know, he would always call them back. But he wasn't answering for them or wasn't returning messages. And he had gotten really sick. Everybody thought that she was poisoning him. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> it doesn't seem like she was poisoning him. He okay. had a bad heart, but he didn't know that. Oh. And neither did she. <laughs> Oh, she just bided her time. Exactly. Actually, that's exactly what they said was he had a really bad heart. The medical examiner was actually really surprised that he was still alive. Oh. And so he had been really sick because of his heart. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know that. Like he didn't know and Miriam didn't know. And so, but his daughters were getting really suspicious because they would call and leave him messages and call and leave him messages and nothing. Mm -hmm. And at some point, um, they started getting calls from um, one of his daughters was in the title company business with him. Mm-hmm. And so when he sold his shares, he basically sold his shares to her. Oh, okay. So now she was in so, charge of that business. Okay. Um, so she had some dealings with some of his other businesses. And so the bank would be like, hey... Um, there's a lot of min- money just like gone from this account now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he took out, you know, business loans for the dance studio and he was going to, you know, purchase other properties and stuff like that. Like he was always, he was always looking for another way to make, make mm-hmm. some money or another business venture to go into. Yeah. So he had bought these properties and he was going to build like apartments or duplexes or something. And so he got a loan for that. It wasn't getting paid. Hmm. And he didn't have any money in his account anymore. Miriam did not have access to that account. She was forging checks. Making checks out to her business that she does have access to. Or making checks out to herself and forging his name. Wow. And so... um, the daughter started to get really suspicious about the whole thing. Like they started calling her and we're like, Hey, I've been trying to reach dad and he won't answer. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't returned any of my calls. Like, is he all right? What's going on? You know? Oh, well, you know, he's been really sick. I'll let him know you called. I'll make sure he calls you back. Of course he never did. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, and apparently Alan knew this, but she would have his phone. And so she would listen to his messages, delete his messages, wouldn't tell him the bank called, your kids called, none of that. But he knew that she had her phone. Yeah. So whenever he did talk to the kids, they would be like, hey, I called you and you didn't call me back. Oh, I didn't get that message. <laughs> I was just yeah. Like, well, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's just like, all right, dude, like. I thought it was really weird. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, that's really weird to me that you're like, oh, I don't want to carry my phone here. You carry it. And then when you find out from multiple people, not just your kids, even though like your kids really like that should have been mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. That I called and I left you a message and you didn't come back. Oh, I didn't get that. Well, where do you think that message went? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Especially when it happens over and over again. Right. Once, maybe. Yeah. Twice. Okay. But Yeah. And so they had kind of a weird relationship. Like I said, Miriam didn't have any access to any of the money. Mm -hmm. Um, He would give her money. So she'd have to ask for money. Oh, okay. And so um, 
And he he really thought that he was worth more to her alive than dead. Like he made that comment more than once. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. They he wrote out a prenuptial agreement mm-hmm. that basically stated that she had no stake in anything that they got before mm-hmm. they got married. Okay. So she had no, um, there'd be no legal claim for her to make on any of that stuff. But everything after they got married that they got together, uh-huh. then, you know, would go to her or she would be able to then claim that as inheritance or okay. whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm like, you bought her a $250,000 house. Mm-hmm. You bought her a dance studio. You bought her a horse ranch with horses that cost who knows how much. Right. I'm like, you think you're worth to her more alive than dead when yeah. she can sell all that? Mm-hmm. But I'm Especially a- when she's forged all the checks and taken your money and put it uh-huh. in her account. Yeah. Holy smokes. Took all his money. And that is why they think that she killed him is that he finally talked to the bank or they finally got a hold of him or he looked at the statements or something, but he mm-hmm. found out that he didn't have any more money in those accounts because she had taken all that money out of the, out of his accounts. Yeah. And, um, and so she killed him either because he found out or he was about to find out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> So, she's, of course, claiming that she didn't do it. Mm-hmm. She was out shopping. She went all over the place. She went to Walmart. She went to City Market. She went to, do you remember Hastings Bookstore? She went to Hastings. <laughs> <Do you remember laughs> <that? laughs> she went all over the place, calling him the entire time. Calling him and being like, hey, so I was just going to stop at Walmart to pick up some shirts um just wanted to ask about that horse bit that we bought so he had his phone did he <laughs> i don't know that's a good question yeah <laughs> so you know she would just she'd be calling him and then she was like you know we're i know you wanted to meet for lunch at that mexican food restaurant but i don't really want mexican let's go to the chinese place call me back mm-hmm. you know like like that yeah and when that came up the, the daughters especially like, first of all, that's really weird uh-huh. for a couple of reasons. Miriam doesn't go shopping by herself. Oh. Because she got no money. Okay. Dad has to be there to give her money. Uh-huh. Okay. So Miriam doesn't go shopping by herself. Um, why would she be calling him and leaving him messages when she usually has his phone? Mm-hmm. And even if he did have his phone... She wasn't the type of person to be calling him to, like, let him know, this is where I'm at, this is what I'm doing, so on. If he gave her money, which he did sometimes, if he, like, gave her some money, (laughs) she wasn't calling him. She was spending the money. So, they were like, all that's weird. Yeah. And so, she claims that at 11 o'clock when they were supposed to meet for lunch, she goes to the Chinese food place, sits there in the parking lot, doesn't see him, 15 minutes pass by she's waiting for a whole 15 minutes and then she's like i'm gonna go home yeah so she goes home and she finds him and that whole thing ensues so they're like that's all weird Mm -hmm. the when she's on trial the prosecutor asks her like 
So you went to Walmart to pick up shirts, but then you went to City Market to pick up a bag of carrots. Why didn't you buy that at Walmart? Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't you buy all this stuff at Walmart? <laughs> like, why did you go all over town? And like, not even in a logical way, like Walmart. Like, no, she was going like all over the place. Really? And so it's just like, why were you doing that? And she's like, mm. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> just I, I was, I guess. I don't know. Like, it didn't make sense. Yeah. So she's been stealing. She's she steals from everybody. She does have a grown up son named Chris, uh-huh. and he lives in Florida. Uh-huh. For a little bit, he was off in South America, I think, doing some missionary work. But he lived in Florida, and he had returned to Florida. So all this is going on, and at some point, like she doesn't, she doesn't have any money. Mm-hmm. anymore like she blew through that money like she wasn't like keeping it somewhere oh. no she blew through all that money mm-hmm. and so she didn't have access to anything because now alan wasn't there she couldn't forge checks yeah. and uh because she was being investigated for murder like his daughters weren't letting her take anything weren't letting her sell anything yeah and so she was claiming that because she had left her purse at the crime scene that the police wouldn't give her her driver's license or any of her identification or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So she looked around in the house and found Sharon's driver's license. Took Sharon's car. Now Sharon was the dead wife. Yeah. Took Sharon's car and took off. (sighs) Went to Georgia for a little bit because that's where she had grown up. And then she went to Florida and her son had asked her, like, is it okay for you to be here? She's like, yeah, why wouldn't it be? And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Alan's dead and you're being investigated. And, yeah, you know, like, and she was like, eh, they didn't say I couldn't leave. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I mean, okay, she's right. You didn't tell her she couldn't leave. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Maybe you thought it was understood, but you yeah. probably should have been like, don't leave town. I'm going to totally think you did it if you leave town. Yes. So don't leave. Before she left, she was claiming that she saw this suspicious white vehicle in the neighborhood. No one else saw it. None of her neighbors saw it. Um, That she would come home and some of the doors would be open. Things would be moved around in her house. And I'm like, is Alan haunting her? (laughs) No, she was claiming that someone was out to get her. You know, they killed Alan and they were out to get her. But she had no, like, who, why, or anything like that. So she was just kind of making all this stuff up. Mm -hmm. And she had left a card. She had called her friend up and said that she didn't feel comfortable going home. Mm -hmm. Because of all the weird things just happening at home. So her friend was like, okay, well, I'm going to get out in a couple of hours from work so go to my house just chill out there and then when i get there we'll go out to dinner you know and we'll go shopping or something you know we'll just spend mm-hmm. some time together and she's like okay so she gets here and she you know they spend a nice afternoon together and so she's like okay i'm gonna drive you off home and you know i'll stay for a little bit check out make sure everything's okay before you go in mm-hmm. so they go and there's a yellow envelope sticking out from underneath like her doormat mm-hmm. the front door and so she gets it, 
and it's a card and it says to the grieving widow alan was first you're next run 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 and she got all scared she got all scared and so her friend's like well let's call 911 she's like no they won't believe me call my lawyer (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah oh geez okay um someone had cut the little barcode off the back of the card because they thought that that's how they would trace the card yeah um no they traced the card they traced the card to city market and they had her on video buying the card (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah so all this is going on so she was like that's it I'm blowing town. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm out. <laughs> so she takes the car, takes the driver's license, starts using the name Sharon Helmick. <sighs> yeah. Goes to Florida to be with her son and immediately sets up an online dating account. You're kidding me. To a website called millionairematch.com oh. by the way a real website because I looked it up really <laughs> <laughs> I was like nuh-uh <laughs> I was like well there it is <laughs> I would even you know feel like I didn't even have the money to type in the words to <laughs> millionaire <set> up- match <laughs> right to set up an account uh huh so she <laughs> meets a man they start chatting online he decides you know that they should meet in person so he's like okay do you have to verify like your bank account amount before you (laughs) you know i'm like (laughs) sign up on there yes i'm like how charles kirkpatrick started to you know exchange emails with her and they started talking on the phone and then he's like let's meet in person um and so they like the second he's all like let's meet in person she's all like bam i'm in orlando let's meet so he took her to a tgi friday's restaurant (laughs) and i'm like the multi-millionaire took her to tgi friday's (laughs) nice yep and they stayed there until two in the morning Hmm. well during that time sharon had told him about her previous husband she told him that he had been dead about 6 to 12 months, something like that. And he commented that he thought that was pretty soon for her to be out with someone if she was, like, really okay with that. Mm-hmm. And she said she said it was okay. She told him that he had died from some type of brain disease and that he had been sick for three to four years prior to that so you know it wasn't really a surprise that he died she's kind of been mm-hmm. you know grieving about it for a while so like six months like a eh, whatever dude yeah and i thought it was a little weird because she didn't show any emotion about it but he was like well you know whatever mm-hmm. so they had dinner drinks they hit it off they went back to his place. Really? Yeah. Surprise. Imagine that. Surprise. And she stayed there for a couple of days. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so she stayed there for a couple of days, and she pretty much told him that she didn't have a place to live. It was, it was cool for her to move in. And he was like, girl, I just met you nice okay good so he so he was like that was a real turnoff for me Uh and i'm like really (laughs) 
because she's supposed to be a millionaire and uh, uh, she doesn't have a place to live. I mean, that's normal. Yep. But, you know, he thought it was moving way too fast. Mm-hmm. So he kind of blows her off after that. Like, they don't yeah. communicate with each other anymore. And there was a line that she had said that, okay, yeah. So when they had started talking and sending emails and all that, all that stuff, and they were talking, she had stated, I can't wait to be a kitten and a tiger all in one day. (laughs) And I was like, that's brilliant. (laughs) Interesting. Yes. (laughs) I was like, you know. Apparently, apparently, uh, Miriam's got game, so. Yeah, right? <laughs> but it didn't stick because that guy was like, nope. That's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. We don't need any of that. They finally get enough evidence. At least they think they get enough evidence to arrest her and extradite her back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And so she goes on trial. And, like, it's just... the. The whole trial was her basically saying, Alan knew about the checks. He was too sick to write them. So I was writing them for him. Um, I would talk to the bank because he wanted me to talk to the bank. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. But they're Uh like, he's not here to say whether or not that was true. Right. So. Well, and if he wanted her to do that, why wouldn't he have just put put uh put her name on the account? Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yes. Instead of, here, just forge my name. It's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so they had a lot of testimony from people that had seen her before, like when they first started dating and her told her telling a friend that, you know, she heard wedding bells and that he was going to buy her a house and a horse ranch and a dance studio and all this, even before, like, they had gotten married. Like, that was her plan all along. Wow. And, um... She, um, one of the questions that they had asked her was on the day that she and Alan got married, he went, the, uh, the DA that was, uh, prosecuting her wanted to know why Alan had thrown money at her after the ceremony. And I'm like, he did that in front of people? Right. <laughs> And she had responded that it was because he had written a poem. And in this poem, he brought out a wheelbarrow and buckets and horse manure, pitchforks, and all kinds of things. It was to show we would be doing all those things in the new house. It was to show that money would have to be spent and I'd have to be doing all those kinds of things after we were married. Huh. And it was like. Still seems really All weird. weird. Yeah. It's all weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like him throwing money at you was weird. Your explanation makes it double weird. Right. <laughs> like it's weird, weird. A wheelbarrow, horse manure. Yeah, on your wedding. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's see. So she it it doesn't take long. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So trial happened when it was time for the jurors to convene for their deliberations uh 
Mother Nature intervened and almost made the, that impossible. A blizzard was blowing outside, and one of the jurors from Palisade, a nearby town, had to be driven to the courthouse by the deputy. So I'm just like, really? Like, Hurricane Katrina saved her how many times? And now, it's and a, now blizzard. a blizzard? <laughs> yeah. Like, woman. But the deputies got them all there nice and safe. They deliberated for five hours. By three in the afternoon, they had their verdict. So, she was found guilty of first-degree murder, guilty of attempted murder in the car fire incident. Oh, so I didn't mention the thing about the car fire that uh-huh. I thought was really great, was that a few days before the car fire, they had rented No Country for Old Men, which if you've seen that movie, there was a scene where... A car blew up because someone put a wick in it and let it on fire. Oh my goodness! So, <laughs> so, so here's the th- here's the thing I learned about that entire thing, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, a car won't blow up if it has a full gas tank. Miriam didn't know that either because she had filled up the gas tank because she thought it would help it blow up. Huh? Yeah, no, it's the fumes. <laughs> the yeah. fumes are the, is what burns. <laughs> oh, she was uh, she was like, what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Whoops! Uh-huh. So completely do my research. Yep. Well, I mean, she watched No Country for Old Men. I was like, <laughs> I can do that. She didn't right. fact, do any fact checking. <laughs> no, apparently. she was like, I could totally do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can do it. I can do it. She was acquitted on only one minor incident, and that was forgery because a lack of evidence on that charge. And it basically came down to Alan said I could. We can't disprove that Alan said that she mm-hmm. could or couldn't. So, yeah, yeah. But that's why she was found not guilty of that. So, in Colorado, if you're found guilty of first degree murder, it comes with a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Like, okay. there's no sentence of, you know, 25 to life or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's first degree murder, you're in there for life, no possibility of parole. There's so no there's no, senten- no sentencing phase at well, all? Well, there was still the sentencing phase because of the other charges. Oh, okay. And the judge, um, she was given a chance to speak before sentencing. She chose not to and instead stared at the wall with no expression on her face while Alan's children talked about how the, his death had impacted them. Hmm. So... Um, in the end, Judge Robinson added 108 years for the other charges onto Miriam's life sentence. Wow. Uh, Robinson said, whether it's symbolic or not, I think it's necessary. Huh. One of Alan's daughters at the end said that they were happy that she can't hurt anyone else and that this helps us to start healing. Uh, we have spent so much time and energy on Miriam, and this is the end. We will spend no more. And that's... Nice how that entire thing ended yeah hmm. so she's still in jail she's still in jail okay I'm probably tried to appeal but i don't think that went went very far uh-huh but yeah like it was it was crazy like they thought that she had tried to poison him because she did all this like internet research on like ambient overdoses and she looked she tried to find out how heath ledger had accidentally overdosed because i guess she was gonna she just watches way too many movies. <laughs> like, oh. But she did all these searches. And uh-huh. they found the medication, like, 
in the house. Like all the searches that she had done, they found that medication in the house. Huh. But he hadn't been poisoned. Like yeah. the medical examiner was like, no, he wasn't poisoned. He was shot in the head and at a weird angle. Like it wasn't, you know, because she was trying to say that someone came in to rob. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nothing was really stolen except for like a couple of pieces of jewelry that you said is gone. Mm-hmm. And like a couple of drawers are left open and a trash can is knocked over. Like no one's going to be looking in the trash to steal something. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> they're like, you staged this poorly. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, she was just so dumb. Yeah. And the weather kept saving her. <laughs> Well, like, I, mean, I just keep thinking about that movie. I mean, a few days later, she does tries to do something from that movie. Mm-hmm. That just, it's like, really? Uh-huh. Wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Watch a few more movies. <laughs> something. Do a little internet searching on whether or not a car will blow up. Like how you saw in No Country for Old Men. Yes. <laughs> Watch Mythbusters to see if that's even possible. Yeah. <laughs> figure it out woman but yeah no so that was and then she killed him so so what did the the millionaire guy have to say after he found out that she was convicted that's what i'd like i don't think i have no idea if he made any comment on that he did have to testify which is how they found you know they had obviously found out about him before that but he did have to testify he was just like (laughs) Yeah, she wanted to move in, and I was like, no thanks. Uh-huh. And he made that statement about being a kitten and a tiger under oath, which mm. I thought was fantastic. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, that, that hooked a, a multimillionaire, that line. Yeah. You should remember it. <laughs> Tucking that one back <laughs> yeah, in just, the back of my head. Future use. <laughs> <laughs> she was nuts. Uh, she lied a whole bunch. Some of it was crazy lies. Some of it were, you know, like, possible. But So did you, she go crazy after her daughter? Or do you think she was always that way? I think she was always that way. I think uh-huh. she... Um, I'm guessing that her first husband provided pretty well for her um, because I can't imagine that after he, whether he committed suicide or was her first victim, uh-huh. like that she was suddenly like, oh, I'm just going to steal from everybody I know. Right. So I'm wondering if he had provided well for her mm-hmm. and then when he was gone, she was like, oh, I now need what money. Do I do? Yeah. And dancing, mm-hmm. dance studio is not going to do it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, they had a really weird relationship. Like, I was just like, she had no access to it, which was, you know, good, I guess. He mm-hmm. must have seen something in her that he was like, I'm not putting you on any of my accounts. Yeah, that is weird. You know? And that she wouldn't go shopping. I mean, she couldn't go shopping by herself. She, she could, was- but... She had no access to money. Yeah. So he so had to would, go with her. That is uh-huh. like a huge red flag. Yeah. Too. Yeah. When he would give her money too, she would have to ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. A lot of my notes were like, this is weird. This is not. Yeah. I mean, she's a murderer, but still, I was like, that seems 
really like a, a crappy relationship to begin with. Yes. Yeah, that he had to be mm-hmm. that. So either he already knew something, mm-hmm. like he had a feeling about it. So Barbara Watts claims that when Miriam stole from her and she was filing charges against her and all that, mm-hmm. that she had gathered up all that evidence and sent it to Alan, that she told him about Miriam. Oh. But he still went out with her. He still married her. He still bought her things. So I'm like, did he, did she really? Or is she just saying that? Or did he get all this information? It was like, nah, she's cool. I'm just not going to put her on any of my accounts. Yeah. I'm not going to trust her enough to do any of that. Right. But yeah, we'll he, still. He had claimed that he wasn't going to put her on anything, like any joint accounts or anything like that until mm-hmm. they have been married for a few years. Okay. So it's just like, that still seems really weird to me. Yeah. Like you're going to marry her. They didn't know each other for very long. So you're going to marry her and buy her all this stuff, mm-hmm. but you have a feeling and you know some things that make you think she's not trustworthy. Right. Very odd. It was so weird. Doesn't mean he deserved to be shot in the head. But right. it was weird. Yes. <laughs> I no, like, I don't think he deserved that at all. It was just weird. I was like, all of this seems odd it does and then she went back to her old ways and just started writing bad checks or writing fake checks mm-hmm. forging his signature and keeping his phone to make sure no one talked to him and which he knew about and mm-hmm. was totally cool with yeah it's, it's so weird yeah <laughs> alright very fascinating mm-hmm. you know there are some correlations some things that I didn't even mention from my book to your book yeah which I thought was interesting because my dude Dale was very good at shooting that was one of the things he wanted to excel at and he taught yeah. his boys how to how to shoot and all that so when you mentioned that about her being a good shot yeah 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 I thought that was interesting yes very interesting and now you know how to not blow up a car yeah right to not fill up the gas tank <laughs> all the things you learn listening to our podcast <laughs> so my book um and then she killed him by robert scott is available on libby audiobook or ebook ebook okay thanks everybody for listening to do we like murder and we will you will hear more tales of true crime next year, 2020. <laughs> See y'all then. See you then. <laughs>